are you important? Is what you do with your life worth anything in the grand scheme of things? Matt, being our senior pastor, is very important to us here. But a little a few weeks ago, he was out for two weeks because of COVID. But we still made it through and had church. Scott, who is running errands at the moment for our potluck, has become an important part of our an important part of our church. But this church was going before he even considered his first visit here. So I so ask yourself, what is important to the church in your life? So, like Matt said, we are back in John. We are in John chapter 12, verse 20 through 26. Right, it, it says, Now some Greeks were among those who went to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I assure you, unless the grain, unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it will remain by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. And the one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So I see three different parts of this passage where something has to give itself up to become something greater, something of a greater importance or of a meaning. First, we have these Greeks. They were there in verse 20 and 21, where some Greeks that came to this festival where Jesus and his disciples were. And they came up to Philip and asked to meet Jesus. Now, many scholars believe these Greeks were converts to Judaism. That meant that they were Jews, but they did not have the heritage. And the Jewish people were very proud of their heritage. So these converts were people that would most likely never be viewed as full as fully Jewish. They were kind they were thought of as a half breed or a visitor from a foreign land. They would have had access to the temple and every right as a Jew, but the Jewish born people would have never fully accepted them. How many of us have felt like these Greeks from time to time? How many of you have been someplace you felt out of place? Someplace like you shouldn't have been? Gone somewhere and felt like an outcast? Most of us have experienced this either by seeing someone come to your town from somewhere very different or being that person from a different town. Many cultures will just treat those people as outcasts 
and a lot of times just ignore them. Now, when my wife was on active duty, her, her station, she was stationed in Hawaii. Now, talk about going to a different place and culture. We moved to Hawaii from Tennessee. Now, some, some Hawaiians do not like outsiders at all. They actually will become violent to some outsiders. And many visitors are told places where they should not go so that they will avoid these locals. But over time, if an outsider moves to Hawaii and accepts the culture, the they start to become considered as locals. So, what was important about these Greeks? Well, we don't know. One might think since Andrew and Philip actually decided to take them through the crowds to see Jesus, that they might have been leaders in their church or in the community. But the Bible doesn't tell us who these Greeks are so that we might focus on what's important here. And that's Christ and his words to us. Now the Jews, like I mentioned before, were a very tight society and not welcoming to outsiders at all. And they would, but you would think they would be a little bit more welcoming. I mean, consider King David, whom the Jews viewed as the best king they ever had and was their ideal model for the coming Messiah. But King David was the great-grandson of a Moabite woman. The Moabites, who had been enemies of Israel through most of recorded history, but why would these Greeks, or any Gentile for that fact, want to go through life never being fully accepted? Why would they go through the pain? It is the same reason people come to Christ today. They see what they are becoming is nothing great at all and doomed to fail. They see that their life is not important in eternity. But they see the glory of salvation. They start to see that Jesus is what's important and to have their lives and to have in their lives. For the Gentiles of that time, converting to Judaism was becoming part of God's chosen people. Now, in the first part of this passage, we saw these Greeks who came to what could have been a great risk to their life just to meet Jesus. Second, we're going to see the grain of wheat. Jesus says in verse 24, I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. Now, a seed is a dry, hard thing and is nothing by itself. It is only a seed, and that, was, that will only thing it'll ever be is a seed. Now, the Greek language has many words for die. I encountered eight while preparing for today. 
The Greek word used here is athanasto, which translates to die in water, to drown. So Jesus is given the image of a seed that's being watered after it is planted. So when you seek, when, when you soak a seed in water, it allows the hard shell of that seed to soften so that what is inside might grow out into new life. So that what is inside can become something bigger and better and a benefit to everyone around it. I mean, look at a tomato plant. It can give an average of 10 pounds of tomatoes in a season if properly tended to. All of that from one little seed. So the seed has to die to become a greater plant. And that is what Jesus had to die for. He was already something great and awesome. But after he died for our sins, he became something spectacular. 1 Corinthians 15, 36 tells us, What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So Jesus had been going around sowing himself into people's lives, planting the good news of salvation through him. But to reap the harvest that he had been sowing, he had to die. After the resurrection, Jesus became so much more than any people of that time or ours could understand. Jesus died so that he could be much more. Now, first we saw the Greeks, and second we saw the grain of wheat. Third, we see real death. In verse 25, it says, the one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, that concept, those who love their life will lose it, and those who hate their life will keep it, was something I struggled with when I was younger. It seemed backwards to me. And from the world's point of view, it is backwards. Because the world teaches us from a very young age to find out what you want to be when you grow up so that you can start preparing for it. So that you can spend your life aiming for that goal. But Matthew 10.39 brought it into focus for me. Where it says, anyone finding his life will lose it, but anyone losing his life for, because of me will find it. Jesus is giving the promise of salvation to those around him in verse 25. And it is given a requirement as well. Jesus is letting his followers know what he wants from them. To give up his life they have been planning for themselves to do his work in the Father's. As much as we would like, we cannot follow God's plan for our life and our own at the same time. We also hear this in Matthew. The first part of Matthew 6, 24, 
is no one can be a slave of two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. But remember the first half of 26, verse of our verse 26. If anyone serves me and follows me, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant must also be. This verse shows us another requirement. When we accept salvation from Christ and choose to serve him, we must follow him where he goes. Now, does this mean you'll have to move if you follow Christ? No. But it might. If Matt, Scott, or myself have been following our own plans for our lives, we might have likely never even heard of La Junta, much less have moved here. I know I would likely be a general contractor in Tennessee with a well-known construction company if I had been following my plan for my life. But God had other plans for me. But we all follow God's call to follow him to different places. The last half of verse 26 says, if anyone follows me, the Father will honor him. This is a reassurance to anyone worried about where following God might take you. Jesus lets us know that God will honor those who follow Christ. Maybe not right away. Maybe not the way you want. But it is a promise of God, and he always keeps his promises. We are also given a reassurance back in Jeremiah that things will work out in God's way. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare, not for destruction, to give you a future and a hope. While God's plans for our lives are not likely to be our plans, he lets us know that he is looking out for us. So, what does that look like for all of us? Well, to understand that, you must ask yourself this question. Is your life worth keeping for yourself? Is what you have planned for yourself worth keeping over what the Lord might have in store for you? I know God's plan for us is not to hurt us. And we will find honor if we follow it. That is all right here in the Bible. But are we willing to follow his plans even if we can't see it all or understand it? Also, what would be, the pur- what would be our purpose? What good could come from you following God's plan? This might not mean you being called into a full-time ministry, but to minister where you are at. I've seen many churches that had exit signs beside their exit doors or to exit to their parking lot that say, you are entering your mission field. Where are you called to minister? I know I was called into full-time ministry. 
But what if I had not followed that call? Well, let's look at that. If I had stayed in construction, I might be that contractor that I mentioned earlier, bidding on jobs, ordering materials, making sure they are the proper standards for what I'm building, overseeing the jobs and the construction of the buildings, and making sure they are to the, same, to the standards the architect and I have set. And that building might withstand countless storms and last longer than I'll live. Proof of my ability as a builder. But how much greater is it to show God's love and to share, share his plan of salvation to the lost wherever I go? That building could eventually be abandoned and if not maintained, collapse over time. But the lives God touches through me would touch others and continue to spread. The best thing for us in God's glory is what, we, what he has called us to. What is the best thing he is calling you to? So who in here has heard of a man named Edward Kimball? Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who made it a habit to personally give each one of his students the opportunity to accept Christ as their personal Savior. In 1858, one of those students was D.L. Moody. Moody. Moody, from there, became an international speaker and preacher. And he, when he toured the British Isles, he preached at a small chapel that was pastored by Frederick Meyer. Well, Moody's words that day changed Meyer's ministry, and Pastor Myers became an evangelist. Myers continued preaching and eventually preached in America where he would, his words would lead J. Wilbur Chapman to Christ. Chapman also became an evangelist, and he mentored a man named Billy Sunday, who, who would take over Chapman's ministries and preach to thousands of people. Well, one of Billy Sunday's crusades inspired a group of Christians in Charlotte, North Carolina, to dedicate themselves to reaching their city for Christ. They asked another evangelist, Mordecai Ham, to come hold a series of evangelistic meetings in 1932. Now, a local farmer loaded up some of his neighbors in his pickup truck and took them to that meeting. One of those neighbors was a 16-year-old boy, and he went, that, he went several nights. Now, he felt like that preacher was speaking directly to him. So one night, that young man went forward and accepted Christ. His name was Billy Graham. Over the course of 74 years, God used the work of a Sunday school teacher who believed Christ was more important than himself and, get, and through that gave the world one of the best-known evangelists of our age whose sole purpose in life was to see others brought to Christ. You see, we're like that seed that 
grain of wheat Jesus spoke of. One little thing can become something greater if we let Christ work through us. Just for some perspective, one grain of wheat, if planted, can make enough bread for one person for one meal. But if you, instead of making that little bit of bread, you plant those, what came off that first plant, it will grow to enough wheat to make five loaves of bread. I know you are wondering what it means for you to follow Christ. You might do great things with your life, but imagine what you could do if you let God take your life and work through you. We are to seed that one little grain of wheat. Alone, we can't do too much. But if we put ourselves aside and let God grow something from us, it will be more spectacular than anything we could have ever dreamed of. So I ask you again, is your life worth keeping for yourself? Well, according to this passage, I don't think it is. It's not worth it because if you keep your life for yourself, that means you're not fully seeking God in your life. Looking back at verse 23, Jesus was told, when he was told about the Greeks, those who, remember those who chose to live a life of not being accepted so they could seek something greater. And that they had come, but those Greeks had come to meet him. And Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The Greeks came to learn more about Jesus. But that was just the beginning. Jesus knew there would be, that they would be the first of many. And he wanted us to understand what we must do next. Christ knew what he had to do to become more. He had to die on the cross for all of our sins. Now we must discover how we can help Christ become more. Matt, Scott, myself, and others have discovered what we must do for Christ is to become more. We must go preach his good news of him and the salvation he brings from the pulpit and lead Christ's church. So what must you do? Well, it could be leading a Bible study or teaching in a kid's class or simply inviting that cashier that checked you out at the store to go to church with you. How are you going to show Christ to the world? And how is Christ going to be glorified through you? Also, if you have not asked Christ to come into your life as your savior, savior, now is the time. You need to ask yourself the question I've asked several times. Is your life worth keeping for yourself? Or is it time to give it to Jesus so that he will be glorified by what you can do through, well, what he can do through you? Have you felt that your life was incomplete and missing something, something very important? 
Are you ready today to give your life to Christ so that he can guide you and show you his glory to the world through you? If this is you, do not leave today without talking to Matt, Scott, myself, or someone else here. So, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for what you have done for all of us. Going to the cross to die for our sins. We see that it is what you had to do to become greater than you are. Help us to understand what you ask of us is that you can help, is that we can help you become greater. Lord, I also pray that if there's someone that hears this message and does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that you will soften their hearts and lead them to you. I also pray right now, like you prayed, like you showed us to pray, not our will, but yours. Lord, guide us. Amen.